Welcome again, brothers and sisters, to Christian Thought in Our World. My name is Eric Ramirez, along with our panelist, uh, Johnny Navarro, and we're happy, as always, to be able to get together and have a wonderful discussion regarding those things that regard our wonderful Lord. And we had a, a good discussion last week where we began uh, doing an examination of a Christians versus a Mormon debate regarding uh, authority and, and particularly obviously discussing the authority of scripture and the differences between our position, you know, particularly holding to Sola Scriptura and a position such as the Mormons in which you have obviously continuing revelation. We want to thank you for uh, joining us uh, at this point. Uh, for those of you who are watching, we do uh, do this show live. So we also have other uh, viewers that are joining us. And we want to thank you all who are out there. Thank you for supporting and, and being part of this. We want to let you know that in light of this, uh, we, we may have a few uh, a few technical issues, although we think things are going pretty smoothly, uh, smoother than it was uh, last week. So if you could bear with us. But we also want to remind you that we also have a uh, audio version of the show so that if you're unable to join us uh, live or even watch it on, on YouTube, it might be actually more convenient for you to actually listen so that you can actually go on the different uh, popular podcast platforms such as Amazon, Apple, Spotify. A lot of our phones have the ability to uh, set up a podcast. Look us up, Christian Thought in Our World, and, and you can join. And not only can you join and enjoy it yourself, but also share it with those that are interested in hearing discussions on the theme. So once again, we're, we're thankful for, for your support, and we'd like you to keep that in consideration. Now, we're going to be today looking at episode uh, 23, and this is basically part two of our discussion of on what authority uh, do we rely on. So, Brother uh, Johnny... Uh, just I give me one, that, uh, one moment. Uh, they can see us, but they can't hear us. So I'm going to have to just have them watch the link. Okay. So if you're watching live, if you can please uh, give us a minute here. We're just trying to fix a situation for uh, some of the panelists that are watching live with us. Okay. So screen broadcasting. Okay. So let me just uh, really quick. Uh, all right. For those. See, I. Okay, if you guys can hear me, please. Okay. So what, what I did was in the video chat, uh, I posted the link to the YouTube video. So all you have to do is click on that link and you can watch the video on YouTube. For some reason, the sound is not working. So uh, just uh, try to watch it that way. I don't know why it, the sound isn't working. So go ahead and just watch the video on YouTube, okay? And if you have any questions or comments, uh, just uh, send them through YouTube and or and then you can actually we'll we'll post it on the screen and you we can uh, address your questions that way. So, so get out of there. Yes. yes. So we gotta get out of here. We gotta get out of here and go to the link that. Okay. All right, brother. Uh, so what was your question? Sorry about that. Oh no problem. So well now that we're uh, I've introduced the show. I've introduced the episode. Yes. So the first thing that I wanted first order of business I want to get is I know that you have another clip such as we had last week in which uh, we're going to hear them. Uh, I think in this, in this case, we're going to be, be hearing a rebuttal, right? We heard their, their introduction, yeah. you know, in the, in the first video. So I, I know that we have uh, certain questions that we want to deal with as well regarding the whole thing. We, we, I think we only dealt like with the first question last week. So maybe we can look at a couple of questions that may be relevant to uh, either last week or, or to today's show, but we are going to begin with the clip and begin a, a reaction uh, to that so if you can cue that up and that mm -hmm. way we can begin to uh a, hear the rebuttal and then begin to uh, have the discussion on this all right all right well this has been great and thank you all for coming so uh my our opponents just were talking about this idea of closed canon and that you know there's no more god breathed scripture did god stop breathing is god dead is that what we're going to assume here? I'm not. I'm going to assume that God actually still lives and that God is the ultimate authority and that he can speak to you. He can talk to you. See, truth must be the starting point. And they're right. Truth must be the starting point. And for them, the truth is what they say the 
Bible says, right? But we're, we run into an impasse here because there's a lot of different interpretations of the Bible out there, and our opponents have already admitted that their interpretation of the Bible is not necessarily correct. They could be wrong. So, hmm, we have fallible people over here interpreting the Bible. We have fallible people over here interpreting the Bible. Even if the Bible is the infallible word of God, it is human beings who are interpreting it. And so we run into a problem. How do we adjudicate the question? Well, we could actually look at the Bible, which says in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Why would God say that? He wants us to go to him to seek the truth. And he can reveal the truth to you through his spirit. He went haywire, then. Now, look. Make no mistake tonight, the Bible is an authority, ladies and gentlemen. We do not reject the Bible. We love the Bible. Okay? But our opponents say, you know, our opponents are out there saying that, you know, God spoke to the writers of the Bible. Yes, absolutely. We agree. But we also say that God spoke to you. See, what's interesting is this, is why do they even believe in the scriptures in the first place? Well, we could go right to the Westminster Confession, uh, uh, Westminster and L London Baptist Confessions of Faith, which say the full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof, referring to the Bible, is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So the Confession of Faith is saying that the reason that you believe in the Bible is from the witness of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the thing that is the only reason you believe in the Bible in the first place is because God told you it was true. In the analogy in the beginning where you have book A and book B and you're not sure, well, it's God that will reveal to you that that is the truth. And then once you have it, he will help work in you to understand its message and the proper interpretation. The question tonight is what is the ultimate authority? They're close. Okay, I think that we should stop there for a moment. Okay. Okay, so uh, he's brought he's up uh, a few things. The first was the issue of God breathing. The second was the issue of interpretation. And the last point that he made was, uh, what was that third point he made? The... Uh, um you know what I, I I lost my my, my train of thought, but uh, but it had to do with uh, the 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 um, the I think it, I, I thought it was related to to what he was talking about in terms of the of the interpretation that uh, that we have to that we have to in other words that when we that when we examine when we're ex oh yeah it had to do with the whole idea of the book A and book B and that oh uh, it, he was talking yeah, about the testimony yes. of the spirit yeah I, I, about basically that for you to reconcile the two. You have to ask of God to give you that ability. Right. So, so the yeah. first is the first is God breathing. The second is the. Uh, <laughs> I should have written this down. Uh, yeah, so let's, let's, the second, yeah. The second one had to do with interpretation. Yeah. Interpretation. So God breathing. The second is interpretation. The third is the the, the testimony of the Spirit. So we should probably tackle yeah. tackle those on for a few minutes. Go ahead, brother. Okay. Well, the first uh, uh, the first problem that that. Uh, that I see is that, you know, he, he, he well, he's, he's talking about, you know, how James 1, 5 talks about, you know, that if anyone is lacking knowledge for God, you know, to, to ask of God. Now, Lack wisdom. Yes. I'm sorry? Lack wisdom. Yes. You know, uh, but, but, you know, but in particular, it has to do with, you know, uh, asking God, but, you know, he's, he's making the point that God is alive, but see, but even when he says that, what is it, what does he mean by that? You know, is he saying that, you know, it's a dead God if he's still not giving out revelation, you know, or special revelation as we would call it. So it's a, so it's a strange thing uh, to kind of uh, make a point about in particular, because, you know, the, the point that we're making from the perspective that we have from what we're seeing from scripture is that God is laying down truth, right. In, in what, you know, we, we call the old and the new Testament, which would we call the Bible. And so, when they come and they say, oh, well, you know, the, the Book of Mormon is a continuation of that. You know, my my question is, OK, well, then how do you establish that? 
How, how does one establish that? Because we know, for instance, that in the New Testament, it's addressing, for instance, what was previously there. You know, so does the Book of Mormon deal with what previously there? And is it uh, reliably reconciling? Because at the end of the day, if, he, if, if Joseph Smith was a prophet, we have to have, in essence, a test. There has to be a way to test that. Anybody can come and make a claim. Look, the Mormons are not the only ones doing that, right? We have other groups, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, Christadelphians and all these other groups, you know, that, that, uh, that, that, that what's it called are, are, are of a different faith and making, you know, the same, the same claim, right? That they're receiving, you know, this revelation uh, that, uh, of God. So the question is, what is the litmus test for this? How, how do we go about adjudicating this? Like he said, you know, but the problem is that if we're supposed to be just directly getting that information from God, then that, the reason why that makes that difficult is because there have already been so many testimonies of that. So the question is, how do we know which one is authentic? How do I, how, which one is authentic? Like in their case, they believe, you know, in, in their particular case, you know, the, these LDS believe that the testimony of Joseph Smith, according to LDS doctrine, right? But there are other Mormon groups, if, if, if we can call them that, you know, and they have a different uh, they have a different testimony. And so how, how do they reconcile that? That's 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 the difficulty that I see with that. I don't know what uh, what would be your perspective on that. Uh, well, I, I, wa I want to take them briefly one at a time. OK, so he talked about does God did God stop breathing? And and of course, the 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 term for breathing, he's referring to the term used in second timothy chapter 3 verse 6, 6 verses 15 and 16 where it says that uh, uh the scriptures are god breathed or breathed out by god theonustos in the greek and he's saying well did god stop breathing which is a metaphor and uh the the issue that i'm pointing out though is and i made this in the last episode episode 22 this is episode 23 uh, is that in the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints they believe that the that the prophetic voice of God is done through the priesthood authority. And according to their church, the priesthood authority was taken from the earth in the, the for in Palestine, you know, in, in, the, in the Eastern hemisphere in the first century at the end, during what they refer to as the great apostasy. Then you have it happening in the Americas, according to the book of Mormon with the last, the death of the last uh, Nephite, which was Moroni. Uh, so by the end of the fourth or fifth century, the priesthood authority is no longer here on the earth on their church. So, but by their own reckoning, there was no priesthood authority for over a thousand years, no prophetic voice for God for over a thousand years, uh, about 13, 1400 years uh, until the arrival of Joseph Smith. So they do agree with all, all of Christendom in saying that God had stopped speaking for a particular period of time. The issue is that they call that God stopped speaking they call it a great apostasy. We do not. Now, so, so if it's a problem for us, it should be a problem for them as well. Now, the other aspect of it is, of course, that you have multiple people. After the time when Joseph Smith established the church, there were breakoffs. There were other groups that emerged that claimed Joseph Smith as a prophet or in some cases as a fallen prophet, but also believed that the Book of Mormon was true. So... Are we to ignore those groups because they claim to have the priesthood authority or they claim to have the Book of Mormon and they claim Joseph Smith? Uh, they have. The, and then, of course, there was the, 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 the Whitmerites and the, uh, the Bickertonites. That there were, so there were other groups. And, and since that time, of course, the big one was the reorganized church. The reorganized church, Emma Smith didn't recognize Joseph Smith. I'm not trying to change the subject. I'm talking about the prophetic voice. The prophetic voice, as was understood in the reorganized church, did continue on, but in their church. How do we know which of these Latter-day Saint groups is the one church that has God breathing out? And so, you, and so which brings me to point number two, which has to do with interpretation. How can you find out if what, if what a prophet says today is consistent with what out? If, if the prophet of today gets to interpret or reinterpret the words of a previous text, not in the sense of an application or a foreshadowing, but I'm talking about literally taking a verse of the Old Testament or of any other previous text and making it mean something that it was never understood to mean in the entire history of Christianity. So 
when you're dealing with a biblical interpretation, there are certain things in the Bible that are much, much clearer. I, I was actually having a conversation with you, uh, Brother Eric, regarding the issue of um, interpretation. For example, uh, we have passages in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. It is a very profound sermon. And uh, if you know the rabbinic uh, midrash, the commentaries of the Jews, and you know what Jesus is interacting with, much of what is found in the Sermon on the Mount is actually very straightforward. Or if you're looking at historical narratives where Jesus is meeting people, going to certain geographical places, doing miracles, those are very straightforward. But when you read uh, apocalyptic passages uh, or chap books such as the book of Revelation, those are much more difficult to understand, which is why uh, in the previous uh, episode 22, one of the things that we talked about is that in the in the uh, in Second Peter chapter three verses fifteen and sixteen, Peter acknowledges that there are some things in the scriptures and in Paul's writings that are difficult to understand. Some things doesn't mean all things. It means that there are certain things that are difficult, some things that are not. And in Second Timothy chapter two, which I quoted, Paul said that uh, we have to study ourselves to know to have the skill to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, that's why in the book of James, it mentions that, you know, anyone has to beware of becoming a teacher because you're going to be held accountable for the things that you teach. So if we have the skill of being able to teach, that is something that we have the ability to do. Even if, and it's actually possible, theoretically speaking, uh, that a person can be an orthodox, correct Bible teacher, someone who preaches the word of God and the gospel properly, and he himself not be a believer. He can actually not have it within them. Because, and this takes me to point number three, and that is that knowledge and belief are not the same thing. If you look, uh, for example, at the parable of, uh, of uh, the rich man and Lazarus, which is found in Luke chapter 16, uh, you find at the end of the chapter when the rich man asks Abraham, to send Lazarus back to warn his brothers so that he will not end up in that place of torment, Abraham says to them, he says to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They will not, if they don't believe them, they will not believe even if someone rises from the dead. So Abraham is telling them that the scriptures are sufficient. Now, if the rich man would have been a Mormon, he could have just said, well, you know, that depends on which interpretation, you know, you have the Jews and the, you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, Herodians and all of them have all these different interpretations and how am I to know all these different things? But Abraham and, and through the voice of Jesus is actually telling us that the scriptures are enough. And you also have, for example, in Matthew 28, when Jesus rises from the dead and he's around his disciples. And remember, the disciples of Jesus Christ were with him during his earthly ministry. So they saw the miracles. They saw him give prophecy saying, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And then talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. This picks up in Matthew 28. They are talking to Jesus. They're seeing him with their own two eyes. They're hearing him with their own ears. They're touching him. And yet the text says, and some doubted. So they had the knowledge of the truth, but they didn't have the faith that something needs to work. And, and so as evangelists, if we're preaching the gospel, what we're doing is we're, we're delivering the message, the knowledge of the truth, and it is the Holy Spirit that brings that testimony. That's what the passage in the, in the confession, the 1689 in the Westminster Confession of Faith, we're talking about. It's talking about the movement of the Holy Spirit within the person in order to convict them and awaken them to the realities of Scripture, because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says that those who are not believers are blinded by the God of this age. Uh, if you look, for example, in Luke 24, and I know I'm going really fast, but in Luke 24, when you have Jesus, uh, he, he rises from the dead and he's walking with the disciples. And in, in chapter 24, verse 16, it says that they couldn't recognize this because their eyes were veiled. Then when Jesus is talking to them, and preaching from the, the law, the prophets, and the writings, the Old Testament, it says that their eyes were opened, and then he disappeared from their sight. So they had the knowledge of the truth, but they didn't have the realization, that understanding, that spiritual. So when you're talking about knowledge of the truth, we, knowledge can be a bit nuanced. It can refer to spiritual understanding. It can even refer to sexual understanding. 
but in some cases it refers to spiritual understanding. And when we're talking about spiritual understanding, that is what the confessions are talking about in the awakening. This is what Calvin was talking about with the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Brother, did you want to say something? Well, one of the things that I wanted to also uh, speak on is that, you know, so like particularly, let's say with the, with, the, with the Mormon issue and with a lot of different groups, you have this issue of authority and succession, right? So, so in other words, uh, what they're basically arguing is, well, you guys are basically taking the Bible and you're running with whatever you want to think it believes and says, right? Whereas, you know, who's to know, right? But if you have the proper authority, the proper authority can lead you in the right direction. So the implication would, would be that you have to follow a certain authority, right, in order, in order to properly do that. But my question to that would be, how would you explain something like uh, Luke, you know, 949 to 50? So you have uh, here where it says that uh, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And it says, uh, I'm sorry, it went uh, one verse too far. And it says, but Jesus said to them, do not stop him for the one who is not against us is for you. So here you have, who, were, who was his group? Who was his authority? The apostles, right? And here they are, and they have this authority. And yet you have someone who was not part of this and is casting out Jesus, I mean, casting out uh, demons in Jesus' name. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't rebuke it? But instead, basically saying, in some ways, he's basically saying he who is a uh, he who is a uh, uh, he who's not a uh, or uh, who's not against us is for us, right? Mm -hmm. So, so in reality, you know, we see that what is the basis of that? You know, in other words, what is the authority really based on? It's based on the truth. That's really what it's based on. And so, you know, so that's one of the problems that I see, you know, with this issue. And so, you know, which then leads us to the issue of interpretation. Right. Because they, they're saying, yeah, but, you know, you have all these different interpretations. Well, first of all, as you said, brother, there are things that are clear. OK. And I hate to say, it, but sometimes the cults make a mountain out of a molehill out of things that are not that are pretty clear. Mm -hmm. You know, so so we have so we have that issue. But, you know, I can understand, as, as, as you stated, that there are things that are hard to understand. Book of Revelation is not an easy book to understand. Mm -hmm. But even then, you know, how do we have an understanding of that book? You got to go back to the previous books. Why? Because that book is filled with allusions to things in the Old Testament, you know? And so... Well, that's the analogy of faith. Right. Yeah. So you, 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 the final book is an absolute uh, example of that. And so, you know, so to me, that's, that's the but, problem but that I see. The, for the listeners, what is the analogy of faith? Well, the, initial, the analogy of faith is to uh, compare Scripture with Scripture. Right. So mm -hmm. we go with, with with what we know. Right. What we know is clear. Right. And and basically use that as a basis to to interpret what is what is unclear. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I think in the book of Revelation, that that's actually very, very useful. I've personally seen it that way. One of the reasons why I uh, changed perspective on eschatology is because of that issue. Whereas I saw certain eschatological views, in essence, inventing, you know, their own interpretation uh, based purely just on the text and not paying attention to to the illusions that were being given when obviously there's some important if the illusion is being given. And so so the problem with right there with the issue of interpretation is, well, first of all, you know, uh, I, I don't remember the reference, brother. I don't know if you have it, but, you know, this, the scriptures themselves, you know, I think it's Peter who talks about that. No scripture is of, of a private interpretation. Yeah, right. Second Peter it's one. The, Second Peter yes, one, you know, 20 or 21. Right. So that in other words, this is this is clear. This is the clear message of God being given. So the question is, how do we how do we get that? And we have it in we have it in, in the word of God. We have it in the Bible. And it's very simple. You know, when these men wrote, you know, were they writing uh, mysteries? Was, was it all mystery literature? No. Right. So in other words, you have someone writing a letter. What do you what do we do? When we communicate, what do we do, right? We have an intent, you know, in what we're doing. And so we have to take all these things in consideration. That's why we got to look at the language. We got to look at the, at the syntax, you know, even culture, because expressions are used and all these different factors. And, well, and uh, should we, go ahead. Should we look at James chapter one for a second? Sure. 
Yeah, if you, yeah, if, if so, you have it and you can read it, that would be great. Yes. Uh, so one of the one of the things that he said was that if that you know he he's arguing that we as Christians are saying that we have to go by our own interpretation and and because our our, fa- our interpretations are fallible and blah blah blah. And he says, but they have a different option. They can just ask God. And so they quote from James one five. And for if you're not familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormons, one of the, the things about the story is that the story is that Joseph Smith was 14 years old. He was confused about which church to join. And he goes out into the woods and he opens his Bible and he reads the book of James. And in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, uh, it says these words, reading from the uh, New American Standard Bible. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so from this verse, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or, or what they're known as is the Mormons, although they don't like being called that, the, their prophet said not to be called that. Uh, so <clears throat> this passage for him indicates that what we need to do is instead of going over to the different churches and reading all these books and arguing with all these different people, what we should just do is ask God and God will tell us which church or if any to join. So Joseph Smith re- uh, prays and then God the Father in a human body and God the, and Jesus Christ in a human body appear to him. <clears throat> they tell him to join none of them. And uh, he says that all of the churches were wrong. All of their creeds were an abomination. All their professors are corrupt. So this is in the Pearl of Great Price in the Joseph Smith history, if anyone wants to look that up. You, it's available online and stuff. So if you look at that Joseph Smith history, this is, the, this is the revelation that Joseph Smith gets, not to join any of these churches. So, <clears throat> so but this is all based <clears throat> on an interpretation of James chapter 1. Now, one of the examples that I like to use in biblical interpretation is this. If you, we live in an, era, in an age of uh, technology. We're all having these digital devices, tablets, computers, what have you. We have comp- you know, all these different things. Well, if you look at a manual and you want to learn how to use the Bluetooth feature or some other digital feature that you find, you know, casting on your screen or something like that, what you would do is you would go into the manual to the section of the manual which discusses how to use that feature, right? That's well, how you, it's you, done. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you would think, I was saying, you, you would think, but well, so many people like to wing it. It seems like in theology, that seems to be the same attitude, right? A lot of people just want to wing it. They don't want to read the, the instruction manual. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny mm-hmm. you say that because they, there's, a, yeah. there's actually a joking saying that it says, uh, when, when, all, when all, I think it was, when, it, when in doubt, Look, no, no, I think it's when all else fails, look at the instructions or something like that. But, but my <laughs> point is, the point is that when we're looking at this stuff, we're supposed to ask, okay, what, what does the manual say about this so that I can figure this out? So when we're talking about how do we know what a true prophet is? And, and Moses, when he was about to die, let, before I get to James 1, let me, let me quote from Moses. And this is from Deuteronomy chapter 13. Okay. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, this is verse one, dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall not follow. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him, and cling to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams that shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God, who who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. And and then it go and then it goes on on other on another subject. But here's here's an interesting point. Moses is about to die, and the Jews are thinking, okay, but what do we do now? Who's the next? And Moses is telling them there's going to be another prophet. And he says, if the prophet goes, Jesus, Moses goes into doctrine. If this prophet says something that God did not say, he is a false prophet. He does not say, well, if you want to know if Joshua is the next prophet. 
pray about it and God will give you a testimony that he is a prophet or that he's not a prophet. This is, this is the verse where the question of how you determine what a prophet is, is found. What did, what did uh, Joseph Smith do? He went to James chapter 1. So now let's look at James chapter 1 and find out if James chapter 1 is actually about the subject of, uh, of prophets or about books. So here you go back to James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed ab abroad, greetings. So he, this is a letter that, he, th that is written for the 12 tribes. This is for Jews. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encourage various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must, not ask his, he, but he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of a humble circumstance is to glory in high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because the flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises in the searching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of the pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, his, when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then uh, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived by my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow in the exercise of his will. He brought us forth the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved. And, you know, it goes on for a few more verses. But so far in everything that I just read in the James, is it talking about determining whether a prophet is of God or whether a book is true? Is any of that being in any way discussed in this particular chapter? No. Furthermore, notice that it's talking about having completion, right? That if you're lacking, you know. Now, I'd like to turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So how, 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 what is the scripture using the analogy of faith? How do we find completeness? How do we find the righteousness of God? Through his word. That's right. Right? And so that's how that's how we interpret these passages. It's not just, oh, well, this just means that you go to God and God is poof. You know, he's going to give you like a prophet, you know, uh, this uh, special revelation. But no, brother, here's the question. Here's the question, mm -hmm. though. If the scriptures are not enough because mm -hmm. you can't interpret them, and during the, the quote-unquote great apostasy, now bear in mind when, we, when I say apostasy, there was apostasy in the times of Israel while prophets were present. There was apostasy right. in the time of Jesus and the apostles while they were here on earth. And after they left, the apostasy continued and, and apostasy grows and comes and goes and there are revivals and all of these different things. But that doesn't mean that the church is not present on the earth. But they're calling the great apostasy as the removal of the church. There's not a single member of the true church with the priesthood and all of those things, right? Well, right. according to them, since there was no prophetic voice, no priesthood authority, how did a person who read James 1.5 deal with the testimony of the Holy Spirit? How did they know what was right and what was wrong? I don't think they have a clear-cut answer for this question. No, and, and obviously the, the biggest uh, problem with this kind of restorationist, uh, you know, uh, movements and, and, uh, and religions that popped up is that it is essentially denying what Jesus said, which is that he would build his church and the gates of death and Hades would not prevail against it. If you're saying that for a time 
the church was taken out, guess what? It was prevailed against. That means that God had to redo a work to bring it back. And the idea is that the church triumphant is always there. You know, will we have a, you know, a great times of apostasy? Absolutely. That's the whole point of exile in, with Israel, right? In, in terms of, uh, of its, uh, uh, its, its prophetic, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, work as a nation, right? It failed and God had to uh, send it out in exile. But even then, what concept are we introduced in, in Jeremiah and, and in, uh, in the book of Isaiah? The idea of a remnant, that God has his faithful people there. His, his word doesn't cease. You know, his message doesn't cease. And so this is why it's, it's difficult to be able to receive this postulation that's being given because it doesn't seem to uh, be consistent with, uh, you know, not you know, historically, biblically, according to what they are saying, you know. So I don't know if you have anything else you'd like to add on the issue of interpretation. Uh, we could probably comment as the video goes along. We, we have a, it's not a very long video, so. Right. Um, and, and I do want to point out to uh, Brother Stephen Adorty, who uh, is, is giving us a quote here, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Yes. And what is a word? The word of God. Right. He has a few more, but we'll, we'll, we'll show them yes. in a moment. Okay. Thank you. All right. So we dealt with the issue of... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I pressed... They're real close okay, to sorry, go ahead. But they're not taking that extra step to say, why do I believe in the Bible in the first place? They just say, well, the Bible's true because it says it's true. It's like, no, it's not. It's true because God told you it's true. And the only way you can get around that is if you say, well, I'm out of the equation. What it is is it's God who makes me believe. Thus presupposing a particular interpretation of predestination. See the problem? Okay, bear in mind, this debate is not about predestination. They keep bringing it up in, during the debate. And of course, if you, wanna, if you want the link to the debate, the actual debate, it is in the description of this video on the YouTube and I think on the Facebook version of the videos. But my point, though, is that they keep picking at the subject of predestination, which deserves its own show. We actually haven't done one on, on this particular show yet. Uh, but my point is that they keep picking at that doctrine, and that is not the subject. This is what is called a red herring, where you introduce another subject into the debate instead of sticking to the one subject. So, also, they brought up quotes from church fathers. Okay, let me tell you guys something. They don't want you to go and look deeply into the quotes from church fathers on the record of Sola Scriptura, because I can tell you guys right now, no serious historian thinks that Sola Scriptura has been taught all throughout the, the, the history. I mean, even Athanasius, who they brought up themselves, Athanasius said of the Council of Nicaea, he said, the confession arrived at Nicaea, this is him, we say more, sufficient and enough by itself for the subversion of all irreligious heresy and for the security and furtherance of the doctrine of the church. So in other words, he wasn't pointing to scripture alone. Athanasius was pointing to the creeds as well. You can also go and look at uh, St. Basil. They didn't mention him. Well, let's see what he said. He said, of the dogmas and messages preserved in the church, some we possess from written teaching and others we receive from the tradition of the apostles, handed down to us in mystery, in respect to piety. Both are of the same force. So we can quote mine all day and find the quotes. Now, uh, if uh, also in the description of this video, I do have the, the three videos, the three uh, episodes that we did on the subject of the scripture alone. Uh, and we had a lot of different quotations. Now, what, what he seems to not be able to understand is that when you quote from people like Basil and Athanasius, Athanasius and Basil are not saying that because this council has said it or because this tradition has said it, and it's binding on the churches, but it's not found in scripture. You won't find any examples of it. Now, we can say the same thing. Now, we're members of, of, of a particular church. Now, when we make a decision at that church, that decision is final. No, no more discussion can be made. Now, someone else can come forward 
with a different interpretation of the Bible and say that they disagree with the decision that we've made at Acts Reformed Church. But the church individually has the right to make its own decision. So when, you, when you're looking at the church fathers, the church fathers are saying, look, the church has made her decision on a particular subject. So the, the, the case is pretty much over. We don't need to keep debating whether or not we're going to do this or this and that because decisions have been made. But do they believe that, the, that a church council or that an oral tradition that is separate from the Bible can bind the consciences of men on a dogma of the church that is not found in Scripture, where they can say, this doctrine is not in Scripture, it's found only in blank, and you have to believe it. And this gentleman right here, uh, unfortunately, I have to say he does not know what he's talking about. I don't, mean, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but he was saying that no historian believes that. I mean, is Philip Schaff not, was, was he not a historian? J.N.D. Kelly, was he not a historian? So th there are many historians that acknowledge that there was a high view of Scripture among the fathers. At least the ones that are not Protestant will acknowledge that there are some people among the fathers that will say that the authority of the Scripture is above, at least in some cases. And, uh, you know, ignoring Wycliffe, Huss, Savannarola, uh, which were all before Luther. So the, the issue here is that, and of course, we talked about the three-volume set on Sola Scriptura by David King and William Webster. The third volume in particular has about 300 pages or so of nothing but quotations of them talking about the sufficiency and absolute authority of Scripture. Brother, did you want to say something? Yes, I wanted to comment on the, on the particular Athanasius quote that he gave. As you stated, first of all, this is not a statement based on, on the authority of Scripture. What was Athanasius saying? Athanasius is saying that the particular truth that's in Nicaea alone discounts whatever, you know, this heresy, uh, you know, that, that was being peddled. But what was Nicaea's, what was Nicaea's claims based on? Was it merely based on the interpretation of the fathers or, or those authorities? No, this was supposed to be a biblical understanding, right? And it's interesting that he's using it, you know, in, 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 a, in, in this uh, different context. You know, could we say the same thing about Jesus? What about when Jesus said, if you don't believe me for the things that I say, believe me for the things that I do. Does that, was he discounting what he says when he said that? Yeah, that's right. You see what I'm saying? See, that's, that's because they're, they're taking things out of context. There's a context. There's a reason why these things are said the way that they said. That's why it, it's a very tricky game when you get into the, uh, you know, church history. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, uh, I recently, uh, I heard a snippet of it. I didn't get a full chance to hear the show, but, you know, James White, obviously, who is of Apology at Church, of which the two gentlemen uh, were arguing with these two Mormons, he pointed out something really interesting, that in one of the issues that he was dealing with, you know, uh, there are people that are opposing him, and they're opposing him using all these different arguments based on, you know, different fathers, you know, whether it, it might be, a, you know, it could be a, a Aquinas, it could be Augustine, it could, uh, you know, could be uh, Ambrose, or, you know, all these different people. But he said... When it came to the issue, he made the issue based off of Scripture, not based on what a church father interpreted. And it's interesting that when he gave the challenge from the Scripture, they were unable to answer that. Why were they unable to answer that? Because that is the, that is the basis, right? That's the basis. Now, we, this is why we say what we say. We can have a fallible understanding. The reason we can have a fallible understanding is because we do not have all knowledge, Right. And obviously, you know, we, we don't have, uh, contrary to what is being uh, said, we don't have that, that special revelation that God gives to us, you know, the way it was given to the prophets, you know. So because of that, there are, there are areas where we will lack, right? And part mm -hmm. of the problem is that, you know, one of the reasons why we lack is because we're also blind to it, you know. But at the end of the day, because we're blind, you know, and we're unable to, to understand, does that mean that that nullifies the scripture? Does that nullify what God said? No, right? It is what it is. And so, so at the end of the day, you know, that's why we're, you know, what we're saying is the authority is God. We agree on that. The question is, how is God expressing that? Is it through him, you know, personally giving you this information? Or is it because he has established a rule, well, right? 
Speaking of councils, though, here's a question. Here's a quotation from Athanasius himself. He quoted from Athanasius. Mm -hmm. so let me give you Athanasius. Vainly they, they then do they run about with the pretext that they have demanded councils for the faith's sake. For divine scripture is sufficient above all things. Notice above all things. And he's talking about script, uh, mm -hmm. the councils. Uh, but if a council be needed on that point, on the point, there are the proceedings of the fathers for the Nicene bishops did not neglect this matter, but stated the doctrine so exactly that persons reading these words honestly cannot be reminded by them of the religion towards Christ announced in divine scripture. Yes. So there you have, if you notice, for instance, the quote that you gave, it's much more explicit to that issue than the one that he gave on Athanasius. Do you see what That's I mean? Right. And, this, yeah. and, and, it's, and by the way, this is the same way we deal with the Bible, right? Many people make claims. Look, one, one of the texts, for instance, that uh, I used to have a tough issue with with Christians is, you know, the text where, uh, where the, uh, the Lord is basically uh, in the Gospels where he says, you know, that when the, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had people tell me that. How do, you know you're, how do you know that you're right on this? Oh, because the Holy Spirit showed me. But... How do you know that? Okay, but but how do you? What's your proof of that? Oh, because the scripture says that the Lord said that that He will He will teach you all things. You know, well, if you look in context, what was this being? Who was this being said to? This was being said to the apostles. It was to those disciples, and He even says, "I will bring into remembrance those things." Why? Because the truth. Because the truth that 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 Jesus was saying at the time. First of all, what do we know? They were not accepting it, right? How many times did he tell them about, about how the Messiah was supposed to die? What were they doing? They were not accepting this. When, was, when were these things accepted? When the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit, you know, came down in Pentecost. That's why you even see a change. You see a change in the testimony of, of the men, these men that were cowards that all abandoned him. All of a sudden, except for John, they all gave their lives for the Lord. All of them gave their lives for the Lord. You know, and so you see how there you see a true working of how the, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, does that work, and that it's not in this particular arbitrary way that uh, these particular gentlemen are talking about. I don't know if you want to comment on uh, what our brother Stephen uh, put on, brother Johnny. Yes, uh, this is a scripture that he quoted. He says, uh, uh, John five twenty four twenty five. Continue hath ever. I'm sorry. Conti have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Um, and then he, he goes on to say, uh, I believe LDS are consistently inconsistent, just like many other cults. Okay, then he says, uh, uh, he, he has a few more. He says, the Scientology cult of L. Ron Hubbard shares two thoughts I would like to share. You don't get uh, rich writing sci-fi <laughs> you stand a religion you start a religion uh yeah. yeah that that's a quote from l ron hubbard uh he has three more here yeah. uh he says the only way you can control people is to lie to them you can write them that down in your book in your great big letters in the cult of scientology and then uh he has this one right here the only way you can control anybody people is to lie to them one time track lecture june 1952 and uh, this is another one, Technical Volumes of Dianetics and Scientology, Volume 1. He's got some research here. Uh, so thank you very much. Oh, he's got one more here. Okay. Uh, he says that the, the, the technical volumes, I think I, okay. Anyway, uh, the, the, so we do appreciate uh, bro Brother Steve from Missouri. We, we appreciate your commenting and sharing your thoughts. Uh, just just a quick note, the, the word cult, we do not mean it in a derogatory term. I don't usually use it myself. Uh, the, the late great Dr. Walter Martin used to refer to a cult as a group of people that were basically polarized over one particular interpretation of a Bible given by a particular guru or leader or prophet or an organization. And they usually denied the doctrine of the Trinity or the deity of Christ. And, and things along those lines. And so you have a number of religious groups that fit that definition, but it is not meant that they're like a Jamestown or, or, or you know, something like that. Did you want to add something, brother? Oh, I was going to say that uh, regarding what uh, Brother Steve gave, well, it, it shows us something. Isn't it interesting, for instance, that 
uh, in the scriptures, you have situations, for instance, like when, when Jesus appears, right, to the disciples, you know, before they receive the spirit, you know, they're questioning whether they really are seeing Jesus, right? And then, you know, and then here you seem to have the opposite effect where cultists, you know, or, you know, or, or false prophets will come and they will declare that they're, what they're doing and yet people will still go ahead and follow them. <laughs> yes. You know, you would think that by reason, right, they wouldn't do it. And it doesn't stop uh, them from from doing what uh, what uh, uh, Peter talks about, that people, uh, uh, what's it called, a uh, twist, you know, twist the truth, right? Or, yeah. in, or in, in particular, he talks about the scriptures, right? And so this is just, that's the reason why, this is one of the reasons why people believe what they believe. It, you know, we could we could be generous and say, oh, everybody's sincere and every, but at the end of the day, people do have, you know, bad reasons for why they accept the things that they do. So every every argument has to be examined on its own merit. You know? And brother, we're, we're, we're coming down to about less than 10, 10 minutes. How much mm -hmm. of the video is still left? We're almost done. I think we're more than halfway done. We can probably let the rest of this roll. Okay, well, yeah, let's go ahead and let it roll, and then that way we can go ahead and uh, finish it off. ...that support us, but I'm telling you guys right now, go out and Google about the early church fathers on Sola Scriptura, and you're going to find a list of quotes from the early church fathers that debunk the idea that they all believed in Sola Scriptura. Okay? It arrived in the Reformation, and it's very clear why. It was the way that Protestants could challenge the authority of... The church, because all of a sudden the Bible was all over. And they're right. The Catholic Church, by the way, we're on your team. The Catholic Church was really corrupt. And they and the Bible was a higher authority than the corrupt doctrines. You can use that authority to challenge uh, false teachings. So they and now they're and they, they've attacked us in saying like that our, our perspective is is arbitrary and subjective. Okay? Um, really. Their interpretation of scripture is the objective truth, but our use of reason and the witness of God directly, that's all subjective? So, the reality is, is that our opponents are trying to force us into limiting what we can accept to their sub subjective interpretation of the Bible. For them, if they interpret the Bible to say two plus two equals five, they're acting like we are obligated to accept that despite what our minds say, what our hearts say, what our experience says, or if what God himself says. I want to reiterate, if God himself came into this room and told our opponents, you guys got it wrong, they would say that could not have been God. Because our interpretation is that you see how they've replaced God himself with their interpretation of scripture. Their admitted, fallible interpretation of scripture. So when they want to say that we don't have an infallible source, well, I'm sorry, but our opponents are not an infallible source. And with that, I yield my time. Okay. Okay, and that's the end of that. Okay. So this is wanna... this is where I, yeah, this Go is where ahead. I have the biggest problem, because it assumes, for instance, notice that they make it appeal to reason. When you deal with a Mormon brother, and I know you've dealt with them a lot more than I have, you know, when they when they sell you this idea of accepting, uh, you know, the prophet uh, Joseph Smith, is it based on reason? Is that what they based on? I mean, they're saying that alone, right? But well, can I, you know, they, can I, go ahead. Can I okay, because in, in my experience, and, I, and I've, I've bumped into them for over the years, you know, they'll come knocking on my door, and I welcome them to have a conversation with me. And I tell them I'm up front, I'm a Christian, been a Christian for a long time, and so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, we have a few conversations, and they ask me about my personal background, and so I share it. But what I and they've been trained by their institute or whatever I don't know the the exact process, but they they get trained and they, they basically like salesmen, you know, the, this, these are the points, these are the lessons you're supposed to give. If they ask you this question, you answer this way. If they have these concerns, you quote these verses from the Bible and then you share the Book of Mormon and and et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, if they don't have answers for you, and I actually had a lady missionary recently tell me this, uh, like I said to her, I, I told her that I had heard that whenever LDS missionaries run out of ammunition to, to share, to more information to give you, 
they default back to their testimony. And I said to her, this is what I heard. Is this true? And she said, yes, because they, once they have no more, no more to give, they just default mm -hmm. back. Okay. I have my testimony. My objection to the testimony is that the testimony tells me about you. It tells me that you're sincere. It tells me the impact that whatever you believe in has on your life. It doesn't tell me that what you believe is true. It only tells me that that, that belief has done something to you and has affected you in a certain way. So that's why I say, it, and, I, and, and there's a lot of, if there's any Mormons or Latter-day Saints that, are, that end up watching this video, I know we're a small channel. If you're, if you've only been around like uh, the your uh, the, the temple or or the, uh, the your your particular church, the chapel, whatever you call it, and you haven't really taken the time to go and look at how other Christians worship, like Pentecostals, like I invite them go to a Pentecostal church and look at the way they worship and how they bear their own testimony, and you're gonna wonder, wait a minute. That's the same experience that I have. And you, you have to ask yourself, what makes their experience not a, an authenticating experience for their faith? Not, not that they don't believe that, not that Mormons are saying, well, they don't have a faith or they don't have an experience with God. But the thing is, God, supposedly their church, the Pentecostal church and us as Reformed Baptists, we are members of apostate churches. We are members of churches that have a, an abominational creed. And Brother Eric, you're a deacon. Uh, you and I, we're corrupt, according to the Mormon church, according to the Pearl of Great yeah, Price. Correct. So, correct. Yes, that's what so this is yes. what they're saying about us. So if you're going to an Assembly of God church or, or a pen, uh, any type of Pentecostal or charismatic church, you're, you're, all these people are corrupt. Their creed is an abomination. Why isn't the testimony of the Holy Spirit informing them, hey, your creed's an abomination. Your church is false. It's of the devil. In the Book of Mormon, it says you're either of the Church of the Lamb or of the Church of the Devil. Well, if you're presumably the Church of the Lamb is their church, therefore the all the other churches are of the devil. So if our churches are all of the devil and their abomination, et cetera, et cetera, why isn't the Holy Spirit informing them, hey, you're in the wrong church? But these people are sincere. I have seen Christian leaders and pastors talk about how God has delivered them from, from alcoholism and drug addiction and, and whatnot, and they were gangbangers and stuff like that, and they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Why doesn't that authenticate the Christian version of the faith? It only seems to work one way. The, the Latter-day Saint has this experience that tells them that this is true, and so therefore that means their church is true. But when a Pentecostal or, or an evangelical Christian says that they had an experience that tells them that they're right with God and not that they are corrupt and their creeds and abomination and their churches of the devil, that doesn't authenticate their faith. That's why it's subjective. For the Christian, we have to get this experience and this belief and say, does it conform to the scriptures? And so they keep saying, well, that's their interpretation or, or their interpretation of this or their interpretation of that. The fact is that the scriptures are not as confusing, just like I did a moment ago, and, and you agree with me, Deacon Eric. The text in James chapter 1 isn't talking about choosing a church or choosing a prophet or believing that a book is true. It's talking about wisdom, enduring trials and tribulations. It's talking about us as individuals and, and us also collectively as we deal and endure the things of life. That's what that passage is talking about. The passage that actually discusses what to do about whether or not someone's a prophet is in Deuteronomy 13. Joseph Smith didn't seem to, to go to that particular verse. <laughs> right, right. And that's, and, that's, and that's the litmus test, right? That's the, the, the biblical litmus test. Well, part of the problem, see, but one of the reasons why I'm asking you this is because, for instance, if you notice, reason is something that we cognitively do, okay? But we don't look at reason as a basis by which to base that because look, if you were to take a, you'd have to take philosophy. Look, take someone like Hume or Kant. I mean, would they accept what they have to say? Do they accept their reasoning? Exactly. No, they would not because there, because there is error there. And why is there error? Because it has to do with, yes, exactly. And it has to do with, you know, with, uh, with humanity. And so obviously when we talk, for instance, like that's why James one is a great text because how do we receive wisdom? It's not enough to just read the text, you know?
but there, there, there is an, in essence a work of God there, right? But the work that the work of God is doing is it that you know He's uh you know uh supernaturally giving you the ability to understand that, or is it that He's actually giving you the proper understanding and reasoning of what His texts are saying, right? And what we're receiving is that's why it talks about being taught, right? Why, why do we have to be taught? Because there is a right way to look at this. In the book of Nehemiah, when the, you know, when the, uh, the law was restored, it says that he, uh, he gave the right interpretation. How did he give the right interpretation? Mm -hmm. Right? There was mm -hmm. a certain way to look at it. You know what I mean? And so there is, a, there is a way to look at the scriptures. And, you know, and then making a quick point on, on you know, his claim that, oh, you know, the, uh, the fathers made... Uh, the in the Reformation, you know, they, they made it up to challenge the the authority of, uh, of 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 the of the Catholic Church. That's an ignorant statement. Does he not even understand, you know, the orders and how you know Calvin and Martin Luther were making appeals, appeal, appeal, excuse me, appeals to Augustine because he was using Scripture. You know, they made they made arguments from history from the fathers. They argued the fathers. It wasn't only Scripture. They argued the fathers themselves against the Catholic Church. So if you really have an understanding of, of that history, you would understand that it's it, there's much more there than the simplicity that that they try to make. But, but there's you know? a distinction. Uh, there's, there's a distinction between the concept of knowledge, because, uh, for example, if you look at Romans 118 uh, and verse 19, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known of God about God is evident within them for God has made it evident to them. So here you have unbelievers who know God by virtue of their creation. And that's why I refer to it is because, because we are spiritually dead in our sins, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness as Paul goes on to say. And that's what I refer to as having spiritual denial. As I, as I mentioned in second Corinthians four, four, it says that we are, we are, uh, blinded by the God of this age. But yet there's another kind of knowledge that we find in John chapter 17, verse 3. And it says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, Christ whom you have sent. This is not knowledge based on creation. And this isn't just being aware. like Because as I said before, in Matthew 28, there were some disciples who saw Jesus, touched Jesus, and they still had doubts. So they knew Jesus in the, in the Romans 1 sense and to a certain degree in a, in a secondary sense in which they had access to the revelation. But there is another sense in which you know it in your heart. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But, th but this is more heavenly knowledge. This is where the Holy Spirit works in you. So it says... This is eternal life to know the only one, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. But that's a different kind of knowledge from just simply having information. It's a different kind of knowledge to say two plus two equals four and knowing God in a relationship way where he is your savior and he is your Lord. So I do want to point out, brother, that we're now over the, the hour mark. So I don't know if there's uh, any questions that we want to take or if we want to end it at this point. I don't know how you feel we should uh, approach at this point. Uh, it looks like we don't have uh, uh, we don't have any more comments. Uh, so, okay, perfect. Well, we hope that this was a, a little bit more clarification. It's good to uh, it was uh, good to hear the rebuttal because we were able to address uh, some different issues as we had uh, uh, in, last week. Um, so um, from the way that it's looking, it looks like we might have a third uh, third episode on this, right, brother? Sure. So we're going to be uh, definitely continuing on this because it is uh, it is important to to uh, to answer these things. One of the things that uh, Peter tells us is that to be prepared, you know, to give you know what is the hope for our faith. And so obviously we share we share these things, you know, in, in light of that. But one of the things too that that is spoken about is to shut the mouths, right? And to shut the mouths is so that we dispel what is not true and we establish what is God's truth. Why? Because that's one of the ways that God is glorified. And so we're hoping that in doing this, you know, we're able to bring clarification, not only for those of you out there who are believers, but those who are unbelievers or who perhaps is a Mormon so that you can have a proper understanding of how we see these things. 
and how we uh, how we process this information. So we we thank you for joining us today. We hope that it was a blessing to you. We want to encourage you to go ahead and uh, like and share this uh, this show, and that uh, if you have not uh, joined uh, our our uh, YouTube, please please go ahead and do so. You know we definitely uh, encourage uh, your support, and if you can also let others know, we'd be very happy uh, uh, to 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 have that because obviously we want to really put out the word the message of God. We want to be able to defend it and be able to uh, particularly a, you know equip and strengthen our brothers out there. We uh, we want to remind you that you know everything that we're doing here is as a uh, is stated is our goal is as as uh, as that Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. Uh, verse says, which is to to be fully equipped, you know, be fully equipped in the in the things of the Lord. So what that means is that we really got to get into theology, and theology is not just for your pastors and the scholars, brothers, but it's also for people like you. And that's what we're hoping that we can help you build your theology so that you can be strengthened in the Lord, and you can yourselves attest to the hope and be able to shut the mouths of those who are trying to particularly shame, you know, our Lord. But we stand, we know that we're in a battle, and that's why we're here. And this is our ammunition, brothers, because we, we fight against uh, principal, uh, spiritual spiritual entities, against principalities and powers. And that's uh, the one thing that we uh, we need to be uh, equipping ourselves for. But, of course, none of this can be done by the presence of our holy God, you know, by the presence of his spirit. So, obviously, it's very important that we pray on these things and that we ask that the Lord would, would give us, indeed, the strength to be able to stand uh, throughout this. Because at the end of the day... Even though we are a safe people, we may be a justified people, but we're still in a sinful body and we're still dealing with our temptations and we're still uh, dealing with that battle. So we thank you for joining us and hope to see you again in, uh, in another couple of weeks. Same time, Thursday, 730. And we just ask that the Lord uh, may bless you the rest of the week.